I'm Peter Jones, and welcome to The Foyne Jones Show. This podcast will be combining personality, passion, and our love of football, alongside industry and recruitment news. Our amazing guests will share their personal stories and also explain what they get up to when they're not at work. Welcome to the next edition of the Foyne Jones Show. Today I'm in Haywards Heath, West Sussex. That's right, isn't it? West we Sussex. Just We're just West over Sussex, West Sussex, yeah. which for me, from Lewis, is a beautiful journey along the country roads. Other than the uh, chaos at Cooksbridge Station today with the accident and uh, being diverted up and down those country lanes. But I'm here with Barry Collins of Swartz Kitchens. Barry, how are you? Good morning. Yes, very well. Thank you. Barry, welcome to the Foyne Jones Show. You're someone that I've been hoping we can get onto the show as a, uh, to the podcast as a guest because we as a business are heavily involved in kitchens bedrooms and bathrooms and you as a business owner and uh, you know a, a showroom owner are in the local area to us and you're now with your third showroom so can you just take a couple of minutes Barry just to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and, and kind of what you do bring yourself to life a little bit okay so um, my name is Barry as you said um, I own Schwartz Kitchens, we are kitchen specialists, we are mid to upper market segment. We do primarily German kitchens, although we do have um, an Italian brand that we work with as well. The three showrooms, German kitchens and Italian kitchens, Eastbourne, Brighton, Haywards Heath. Any more on the agenda? Uh, Not for the moment. Not for the moment. This is um, a point where we'll kind of hold the time being unless something changes and mm. you know as things do in this industry things things can change we didn't have a plan for a third and then things change and we have a third so <laughs> things can uh, move quite quickly for a slow-paced industry and looking at the footprint with those, those three showrooms and um, you're you're reaching out you're reaching into brighton and hove you're reaching eastbourne and the surrounding areas there so mm. you, you 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 must be offering kitchens to such a diverse customer base and and property because you've got the you've got the palatial properties in the in, in and around the, the downs and then you've got the the sort of trendy conversion properties in some of the some of the town centres and city centres as well. So is it, it, it was that was that the vision to, to grow and and move that way? There wasn't really a vision. Of, no, <laughs> there's nothing as um, exciting or as formulaic or as no master plan. No, I don't want to say that I've given this. You know, I've got a ten year plan and that kind of stuff. It, it it's more of an evolution, really. To be honest with you, I like you already. I, um, I like I like this degree of honesty. There's. Yeah, people that say, oh, well, you know, we've got a 10-year plan for this and we're going to have this by five years. This, it's all nonsense. I struggle after 10 minutes. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's, uh, I have a very simple approach. I want to get up in the morning and enjoy what I do. You know, if I'm, if I'm not enjoying what I do, there's, there's all sorts of problems. But, but to, to think too far ahead, it can be too ambitious and there's always challenges on the way. But, but tell me, Barry, where, where did it begin for you? Where did this journey begin? So if we go back a, a number of years, I've been in retail in one form or another since I was 15. Um, did a bit of working in the bank after I left college. Uh, but I've worked in shops. Did you grow up there then? Brighton. Brighton. So I was, okay. I was a Brighton lad. Um, and then uh, moved out Brighton to Eastbourne when I was 19 because Brighton's expensive and Eastbourne's a lot cheaper. Plus I was working at that time over in Eastbourne and you can swap a one bedroom flat in Hove for a three bedroom house in Eastbourne at mm. that time 
um, which was mad and I was driving over to Eastbourne every day anyway so like, I'll come work in Eastbourne. So I was working retail, I had um, a job in Eastbourne, uh, many years did that and then I was working in, in the mobile phone industry which was... In the boom time? In the absolute boom time. That was for you. I'm trying to do the old, the old advert. For the, that, I mean, it's completely wasted on a podcast, me doing that. But, uh, <laughs> maybe Kelly, Very Kelly, visual. Kelly, you fit the fuck that into the... Uh, he do not even know what I'm talking about. Look, that's how young he is. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Phone's for you. Well, yeah. Well, I worked for them for five years, so yeah. you, you, you get all that. Yeah. Um, but the boom times were starting to kind of taper a little bit with mobile phones, and the opportunities for progression were limiting... So I was open to a, a new move and sometimes things happen at the right time. So they, they just literally cut down our, our old um, areas from like 30 or, or something like that. So it was 30 area managers, there was 30 opportunities for progression to 10 or 12 or something like that. So they cut it right down and then I got a phone call, do you want to come and work for MFI? <laughs> So, MFI. So yeah, I went to work for MFI uh, as a store manager. Um, very different to, to mobile phones. But it was sales and it was retail and I knew what I was doing, so it was, it was fine, to be honest with you. But um, we had all these different products there and I decided I like kitchens. Um, wasn't interested in the sofas or the offices or the beds or the bathrooms or bedrooms or any of that stuff. Um, clocked on quite quickly if you wanted to make your, your bonus you had to hit target and you made your money from selling kitchens so mm. we sold kitchens and that was what we did at MFI um, but were you in the Eastbourne show no first? so I was um, I did a bit of time in Worthing uh, then I went to uh, Tunbridge Wells and that's where I was when things started to go very badly mm. wrong as a business as far as I was concerned, everything was hunky-dory, because I had a very insular little look as a yeah. new person into this business. I only saw what I could see. Yeah. I knew what my target was. I was making bonus and commission every single month, so I was like, everything's good to the world. Didn't realise the rest of them weren't, yeah. weren't performing in the same way. And with a little bit of hindsight now, and you can find out what actually happened at MFI, it was an absolute disaster. But um, I thought everything was going fine. This was 2007, and um, and then it all went very badly wrong, very quickly. Mm. So, summer of 2008, they went into administration, mm. uh, which was not a surprise to many that had been there for a while, but was a, a shock to me. Mm. And um, they phoenixed out, pre-packed, chipped off the loss-making showrooms with big rents, and they made... MFI Nuco. They hired back two people that I'm aware of from the old company, me and somebody else, because I got made redundant. Mm. Um, and I got moved down to Hastings. You've done the whole coast, really, haven't you? Been all over the place, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're like, yeah, it's all good. We've uh, got new deals with all the uh, landlords. We've only got profitable stores now. All is right with the world, but of course they didn't manage to negotiate those deals with the landlords. And around about six weeks later, we went into administration again for the second time. 
and so I got made redundant twice in the space of a couple of months, uh, the second time being the week before Christmas. Ouch. There's the face. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the face you're talking about? That's the face I'm Is talking about. How did I get on? Yeah, yeah. Everyone does the same thing. I've got to bring this to life. So me and Barry were talking before, and there's a couple of things we were talking about. Um, your travel, which we're going to come on to. But, um, but, but he said to me, when we start talking about what happened, there'll be a moment when people pull a face. And, and I, that was in the back of my mind. I've forgotten that. And bang, there you go. The ouch. <laughs> the, the timing of that, of that redundancy. Was, the, was yeah. that the turning point then? Yeah, I'd... I had looked at doing my own business a number of times. I'd always decided that I wanted to do that. But when you've got a young family, which mm. I did, and you've got a mortgage, and you've got a job which, you know, in the early and mid-noughties, you're earning £40,000 a year, it's good money. Yeah. And it's difficult to, to give up and say, well, actually, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to take a chance on something else with a mortgage to pay, mm. with a, a young child, and... It's difficult to. I mean, to you're, you're actually preaching to the. Convert- I I get that from 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 lots of different ways. You know, I, when I launched Boyne Jones, Harry was Harry was how old was he? Harry was five, and Henry was was two. You yeah. know, and and I remember going, wow. You know, I'm I'm moving away from a, a reasonable, a decent position actually. It was a it was a director's role in a in a national PLC to to risk it all and mm. and there was an ouch moment or there was something there there for it myself but but when you when when you, you you've come through that yourself and you hear someone like you Barry saying young family good income you know I've thought about it never quite really brought it brought it to life and then something happens in it and it gives you that kick that must have been quite exhilarating but quite scary um yeah it, it... It's funny, when you've got a good job, it's the fear of the unknown and what am I mm. going to lose. And when you've got no job and you don't really want a job because you're feeling a bit jaded from the whole experience yeah. of leaving a, a relatively stable um, career, going to start somewhere new, thinking everything's hunky-dory and then getting made redundant twice, um, it's actually a lot easier at that point to, to go, right, I'm going to do this now. time to get going but um, set up the new company and started trading at the end of October 2009, about nine months mm. of, uh, of, of set up and um, I was basically selling kitchens with a laptop, one sample unit and some sample doors at the back of a van. Boom! Boom. And, that, and that was it. So. Um, that started at the end of 2009. And, and in terms of, you know, the way the, the industry and, you know, that sort of, that, that MFI, the MFI situation and the, the timeline there, I, I know from myself, my business launched in 2003, yeah. um, which is why I've got no hair left and I, and I look <laughs> up, do you know what I mean? But, but yeah, so, that, so we launched in 2003 and it was phenomenal up until, I guess, sort of 2009. And then I saw lots of the businesses we were partnering with, the groups we were recruiting for and, you know, supporting. Um, there was widespread redundancies. It wasn't just, just MFI, you know, there was site closures, branch closures, widespread redundancies. 
So, so for me, that passage of play, that 18 or 24 months around there, mm. was a real batten down the hatches, you know, we'll get through this, will we? You know, will yeah. we get through it? Yes, we will. And, you know, so now we're here, we're here, we are 2019, and that seemed a long way away. I learned more about myself and my business during those dark, dark times, I think, than on the, on the way up. I certainly believe I did. But to, to do what you did, back of a van, laptop, one sample panel, during that period of time, what was, what, what, why did people deal with you? Was it, was it personality, was it, was it price, was it product, was it a mixture of a whole lot, or were you just passionate and didn't stop? At the time, you didn't realise, now with the, the hindsight, what a dip it was. Yeah. When you're there and you haven't got a job, and you want to start your own business, um, that's not normally the kind of thing that you'd, mm. you'd consider because you're, you're kind of looking at your little world and what you've got and what you can control and you've got a, a van payment which is pretty minimal you've bought the laptop you know that's done so the the money to get going is pretty negligible who was you selling to? me and my missus or was you selling to builders or what? no so always retail yeah always uh, retail always Mrs. Mrs. Yeah. Jones is what I always yeah. say but yeah always to she's a tough customer mate good luck Sam always <laughs> Mrs. Jones um, but we had a uh, there was a few of us that were doing this uh, up and down the country. We had a, a deal with a uh, retailer up north that had a very good website and no presence down south. Right, okay. So what would happen is when so they, they would ever get the inquiries, the, yeah. the deal was we would buy the kitchens from them um, and then we would give them a commission for the lead as well. So mm. they get a double whammy um, and they were finding that they couldn't manage their leads from their base, which was Birmingham to Glasgow, uh, they couldn't manage anything south mm. of that. So um, basically I would get in my van, and most of it was in London, and I would drive from Eastbourne up to London. I would go and see him for a measure up, which if you've ever done a, piggybacked on a measure up, 45 minutes, an hour. Mm. So I'd do a two hour drive there, hour in someone's house, and then drive home again. Uh, I guess with that, <laughs> you're gonna really want to make that hour pay. You're gonna to want to make that hour pay, aren't you? You're gonna absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I could, I could get, I get. You see, the interesting thing for me is, is like, could, would you be able to do it without the leads? Do, <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. To be fair, but that that was the when I looked at all the different options, mm. that was the one that uh, that sprang out because yeah. we were basically managing the leads for. Yeah for this company. It gives you a starting point, doesn't it? Gives it gives you somewhere to yeah. at least get going from, and you, anything you could do yourself is, yeah. is absolutely fine, but um, they were getting a load of inquiries, they couldn't manage them, and so mm. I was going to do it, doing it for them, basically. So, so the journey began with you, your van, your laptop, and your, and your panel, yeah. up and down following the leads. Yeah. How long did you do that for? Uh, so I, I like this, this vision <laughs> I have of it, by the way, I really do. I've seen a white van. No, little black van. No, two pictures tonight, that would have been next, but there you go. Little black van, and um, that was all of 2010 and 2011, and then I think the first showroom opened up summer-ish of 2012. And the first showroom was? Eastbourne, because it's 100 yards from my house. Boom. Yeah. So... Again, that's what's no, no master plan there. Yeah. It was just a case of genius. It was, it was right there. You know? But sometimes the most simple business decisions are the most effective ones. The, you know, the it's it's realizing realizing where you could go and and an Eastbourne showroom 
in 2012 is going to be in a competitive arena because you, you would have a lot of businesses chasing Eastbourne, believe it or not is one of the best places to buy a kitchen mm. because you've got so much there yeah for a reasonable sized town you can buy all kinds of kitchens mm. and you can buy more kitchens in Eastbourne than you can in Brighton believe it or not that's true that's true different manufacturers mm. they've been maybe two or three open up recently in Brighton which maybe skews that yeah. but at that time you could buy more manufacturers kitchens in, in Eastbourne Brighton's a funny location for retail mm. because it's so spread out and when, so, when the showroom opened Barry did you miss your van or did you keep your van I've still, still, I've yeah. still got the van now same one same one oh fair play but I've got yeah. other vans as well but, but did, so, so was it yourself did you bring a team in did you so me and a, a mate yeah. basically um, and that was it but the, the the thought process really there was not to rely on this other company yeah so the, the process so you're going to start actually developing your market around you it wasn't a, a big master plan like I was saying yeah. earlier. it was it was a case of if they'd have pulled the plug at any point which eventually they did um, then you kind of had a business that was relying on a, a single point of failure yeah, yeah. Um, which when it worked was fine and as soon as it didn't work they take it away from you and it's not in your control at least with the shop then you've got your own shop front you can be a little bit more in control of your own destiny. Mm. So Eastbourne Shop was, at the time, 100 yards from where I lived. It was cheap as chips. Tough commute. Tough commute, yeah. Um, as opposed to, you know, each customer was at least two trips up. And they're all in London. So yeah. it's two hours there, two hours back. Mm. At least twice, possibly three times, which is, um, you know, it's a lot of hours on the on the road. Mm. There's limits to how many customers you can see when you're doing... Yeah. those kind of journeys whereas um, when Mrs Jones is coming to you you can see two or three or four customers in a day if mm. that happens whereas that wasn't ever going to be possible you know, there's limits to how much you can you can sell when you're driving for that amount of time So, so that's, that's it, so, so Eastbourne Market, and then that led you to Brighton? Um, Eastbourne Market, and then there's more people in Brighton, mm. and we found that customers were inherently lazy. So you look at the, the geographical... Um, humans are inherently lazy, and you're selling the humans, aren't you? Absolutely, but we could look at who we were selling to, because um, you know, you've got this data now, you've been trading for a year, two years, and then you say, well, nobody comes to our shop, people did, but nobody generally comes to the shop, you know, 80, 20 or whatever, from more than five miles away. Mm. So 80% of our customers definitely were within a five mile radius of our shop. And that was just fact. So it's easy to open up another shop, you won't bastardize your business. And we were at a point where it was it was doable. So I went for it. So that was And for for people who don't know, I know, but, yeah. but where's the showroom in so Eastbourne? The showroom in Eastbourne is So on, Brighton, sorry mate. Um, Brighton one is in Brighton Marina, Brighton which Marina. is a bit of a an odd location in many ways because it's not primary retail, it's not even secondary retail. It is absolutely tertiary retail. Mm. Um, I know it well. I know it well. So so you've kind of you're almost in Brighton because you're right on top of Kemptown, but you're kind of not, and it's a different mix of people that go there, isn't it? It is, but people don't come to us by accident in Brighton. Yeah. People walk past the Eastbourne shop because it's on a one-way system of thoroughfare. 
and we get people coming to the Eastmore shop. I've been looking your window for years, and yeah, yeah. I always knew that I wanted to come in when it was time to do my kitchen. People in Brighton come to us on purpose, yeah, um, because they might have clocked us when they're walking past having a little day out or a cup mm. of tea or coffee in one of the many coffee shops that there are yeah. down there, or just having a walk around the boats because we're right next to the boats. Yeah, yeah. But um, in general, people have made a specific trip to come down and mm. see us. And Brighton is many things to many people. What it is not is a great place to drive to. Mm. Uh, Brighton is just about as anti-car as you can get outside central London. Uh, but Brighton Marina is the last... Oxford's quite bad for cars. Just, just throw that in. It's the last bastion of free parking in just, Brighton. Just throw that in. No, I mean, I mean, you know, Brighton is always a challenge. You know, I, I live in Lewis, so I'm in and out of Brighton all the time. And, you know, the, there are times I've driven in and I just think, why did I not just get the train? Yeah. Why did I get the bus from the top of my, top, top of my street? Yeah, you know? absolutely. But if you go to, for example, not maybe the exact same distance, if you go the other way, you go to Tumbridge Wells, mm. you can go to the big retail parks, you can go to... Uh, Wicks, Homebase, B&Q, all the car dealerships yeah. are there. It used to be, Toys R Us, obviously not anymore, but there's big um, M&S places yeah. and Next. And they're all in the same place, yeah? You can go and do yeah, it. Yeah. So you think about Brighton, you've got um, Magnets out in Shoreham Harbour. Mm. You've got home bases out on the old Ultron Road, Wicks mm. at Seven Dials. Yeah. Uh, B&Q out on Lewis Road. Yeah. They are all over the place. If you wanted to go and look at three or four kitchen shops in Brighton, You'd have to take your car and it'd take you all day, yeah. if you're lucky. It's a very odd location for retail. Um, so the benefit of Brighton Marina is that the, the rents are relatively good value for money mm. on a square foot basis, and it's got free parking. Yeah. And if you want to drive... Lots of parking. And parking. lots of free parking. You yeah. know that you're going to get parked yeah. there for free. Um, and if you don't live in Brighton you live just outside, mm. you don't have to come into Brighton to do it. Because people yeah. that don't live in Brighton don't actually like coming into Brighton. You know, people avoid it actively. Mm. Um, whereas you can skirt around the outskirts and come park in the marina. You haven't yeah. got to go into town. You haven't got to, to fight with the chicanes and the speed bucks and the 20 mile an hour limits. And you can get out again. Mm. So we have a much bigger catchment area for Brighton, but still primarily within five miles. And now third showroom, Haywood Heath. Third bang, 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 bang on the town centre, bang, bang on the, the main road. Yes, yeah, so we've got one in Eastbourne Secondary Retail. Uh, Brighton's in a bit of a, a destination location, and Haywood Heath could not be any more in the middle of, of town, mm. <laughs> right, right in the middle, you know, we're two doors away from um, Curry's, so it's mm. as central as you can get. But Haywood Heath is, is a destination town for kitchens. There are five kitchen shops on the one road which makes it kind of unique in that sense that you know people can come down they can look at five different high quality independent retailers mm. and choose who they want to work with for their new kitchen see see if if it, if i was in your shoes or outside of the desk i would like that because for me the customer's going to come past mm. you know they're going to you, you if you're in the market for a kitchen it's very unlikely you're going to go in a couple or not all of them yeah so you're going to get that exposure so you've got that you've got that opportunity to engage and build relationships. Yeah, there's two ways of looking at it. Well, I've mentioned it to some people that, bloody hell, five shops on one road, what do you want to be in there for? You want to be somewhere where there's no kitchen shops. Mm. And my take on it is completely opposite. So well, people are coming to the yeah, shop. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. They're with, um, people have been here for a while, you know, we can piggyback off of mm. their longevity and their marketing. People are coming to the shop that's two doors down from us. They have to walk past my door. Mm. And... 
we have purposely done a display which is the absolute opposite of what is mm. in the showroom two doors down and so people that come in for the Kuiper kitchen that they do probably won't come into us and mm. that's done very much on purpose but the people that are considering something a little bit more contemporary will have to walk past my door yeah. and might think oh I'm going to look in there why not it's yeah. only 10 feet away I might as well have a look Barry, it's been brilliant to talk to you. And, you know, the, the Swartz Kitchen journey is exciting, but the Barry Collins journey is exciting and, and more exciting for me because it's been done without a master plan. It's, it's kind of steered itself into, into different directions and to, and to where we're sitting now. But what I'd like to learn more about is, is you as an individual, your, your interest away from work, the travel you do, your family. So let, let's explore that. So... You know, your, your family, explain the, because a big part of your life, the family, you said earlier, it's, it's combining family with building a home and running three showrooms. So tell, tell me about your family and, and how, how, what that looks like. So I've got work. a bit of a 21st century blended family now, which I think a lot of people Booyaka. do, you yeah. know. Um, That's how we roll nowadays. Exactly. So me and the missus, we've both got a child each from previous relationships. And then we've got a two-year-old of our own. So I've got a 17-year-old, which I had when I was... Are we nipping myself? Don't even look old enough to have a 70. It's nice to be the trendy dad in the playground, though. Right? The young <laughs> it dad. Was. Yeah. yeah, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. the other way now. Yeah. Exactly that, yeah. So, probably had one uh, a little bit too young, but that's what you do when yeah. you're young and stupid. Um, that relationship didn't work out, and you know that's fine. We've got a good relationship, me and the boy, so that's, mm. that's nice. Um, and then I met my now partner six years ago she's got um a girl who's eight just going on nine and uh, we've got a, a little boy who's two that doesn't give you any time to do anything else really or, or do you squeeze do you squeeze some interest in because i know travel travel is big for you isn't it so yeah i mean we we like to go on holiday that's you know what we choose to spend our money on if there's any money left at the end of the the month or whatever um so we try and go away, uh, which was easier before we had Zach, who's the two-year-old. Um, but um, we have been fortunate enough to, to take him away a couple of times. Tenerife, uh, went to Dubai at Christmas, um, took him to Prague for a few days. You know, So he's quite well-travelled as a, as a two-year-old, um, as much as a two-year-old can be. What was his favourite, Dubai, Tenerife or...? Or oh God! Did, give you any, did, you give any, all, did you get any feedback? All, yeah. very, all very different. He, <laughs> he, he didn't sleep in uh, in Prague at all. So what's his name? Zach. Zach. Cool. So if you've ever been to Prague, we um, we arrived quite late the first night. He wouldn't go to sleep. Mm. So rather than scream, Prague, don't sleep much anyway, does it? Really? Well, rather than screaming the, the place down and annoying all of the uh, the other guests at the hotel at midnight, we decided to go and start walking. The streets when you've just literally arrived you don't know where you're going you haven't got your bearings and stag do's all over the place and yeah. we're walking around with a buggy and a, a one-year-old to, to mm. try and get him to sleep it was an interesting not, uh, not the expected person to be walking the street do you know no, what i mean no, not, not really yeah. you know with the the baby trying to get him to sleep the neon lights and the the, the drunk english people i reckon that like prague <laughs> he might have done yeah but he slept best in, in dubai and had a, had a nice water park there so i'm gonna say say probably preferred mm. that one but um, 
Yeah, they're a full-time, they're absolutely full-time job. And Zach came early, a couple of years ago. So he was in hospital for 12 weeks, or the first 12 weeks of of being here, Mm. which is an absolute full-time job, if anyone's ever been through that scenario. Um, Grace of God stuff, you know. It's oh yeah, it's all it's all the stuff that that you cannot absolutely plan for in any way, mm. shape, or form, and um, that was um, also that, that, in the midst of that's not in the parenting manuals. That's not in the online guides, is it? That's that's something you no, can only deal with when you are exposed to it. Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's that, and at the same time, we were building a house, mm. uh, which again is a full time job, and. Um, the Brighton Show had just opened up at that point as well, so it was a, a busy, a busy period. It does take away a lot of the opportunity for um, the extracurricular activities. At least, you, you like at least you've only managed to add one more showroom to the to the to, to, yeah, to, well, to the workload. The house got kind of finished. Tax doing fine, so obviously you need another um, stressor in the mix. So we opened up a, a third third showroom as soon as life got mm. you know steady and. And boring you've got to make it interesting again so. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the one of the angles we always bring to life on the Floyd Jones show is is sport or football or mm-hmm. you know cycling motor racing has been really big lately for some of the guests but I'd really like to talk about the 2014 World Cup mm. if we can because you uh, you spent a bit of time there didn't you yeah I was fortunate enough to get a, a number of tickets yeah for the um, for the games so we went to just for those who don't remember, this was this is this isn't local. This is no, Brazil. It's Brazil yeah. So you took so yourself to Brazil. Me and um, three mates went to Brazil. Uh, we pitched up in Fortaleza, which is up north. How's your Portuguese? It's not so good. Yeah. I remember Obrigado. But that's Obrigado. About, yeah. That's about it. Um, yeah, we pitched up there and we watched all of the group games that went on in Fortaleza, which I think off the top of my head was four or five. Group games. And, and interestingly, you didn't watch our national team, did you? No, one of my mates got tickets to an England match, so he literally flew um, to Sao Paulo, watched the game, and then flew back again. Really? And those Brazil, Fortaleza to Sao Paulo, yeah. it's, not, it's not a five-minute journey. Hmm. Um, England, I think it was a nil-nil draw. Yeah, it were the best of tournaments for England, was it? And I think he'd end up spending you know, 500 quid to yeah. watch that one game. And it was a bit of a disaster, purely by happenstance. Another friend of mine went and followed England around, ended up spending about five grand following I've, I've England done, around I've for done, a couple I've weeks. I've done World Cups. I, well, I said done World Cups. I did France 98, which is a lot nearer, to yeah. be fair. It was a lot nearer, and I went to all the England games. So, so there, is a, there, there is a way, there is a big passion about it. And for me, when I was going to England, Fulham were in the real lower league. So it was, it was like, wow, you know, this is, this is sort of top-level football. Um, but just like life changes, you know, having my family, I couldn't spend the time. It's not so easy to do those things. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to justify. Yeah, I mean, I can still get get up and down the country and watch Fulham, but you know, they're day trips. Yeah, yeah so I don't want to go away for a month. So, so how long was you out there? Yeah. Was you out there for a month? Yeah, we were out there for the whole tournament. Yeah. Good tan when you come back. Um, a few pairs really, of a few I, pairs of flip flops. I, I, I don't really tan, as you can see. I've got a bit, a bit more of an English rose complexion. Yeah. So um, was you okay? Was you rested and relaxed, or was you shattered? I was pretty tired. To yeah. be, you know, um, there's a, a busy four weeks, five weeks, shall we mm. say, I think is the best way to describe it. Uh, first two weeks in Fortaleza, however you pronounce that properly. 
apologies to the Brazilian and, and Portuguese people. We've got there. a big Brazilian following. <sighs> Obviously. Yeah. Um, and then two weeks in Rio. So we watched um, the last 16 match, or in, last 32 match in uh, Fortaleza, then we had last 16 in the quarterfinal in Rio. Um, and we watched the semi-final, obviously Brazil, Germany, in a bar in Rio. Copacabana? No, with a bunch yeah. of Brazilians though. And yeah. that well, was well a, a good night for them, was it? No, being there and watching. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's how to spontaneously... Combust. Yeah, yeah it, it really was. was it, it? it was shocking, you know, there were people literally... It, is, is Rio as, as kind of have and have not as it looks from the outside in? As a tourist, you don't see the whole... Yeah, okay. The whole lot, yeah. I guess. You know, you mm. can do the favela trips. They're, yeah. they're, they're a tourist attraction. That seems wrong in itself. It, it is and it isn't, you know, because yeah. the money does go to yeah, the yeah, it's there. Yeah. So you... Fair play, actually. You do feel like a little bit of a, you know, you feel like a tourist, you know, yeah. gaping at these people's lives. But you know the money you've paid to be guided round and it does end up back in, in their pockets because it's, it's run by the people that are that live in there. Um, I actually preferred... Uh, Fortaleza up north was much nicer. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd go back there before I go to Rio again. I thought Rio was a bit generic, to be honest. Mm. Terrible thing to say, but uh, I didn't think that much of it. So, with the, the, the travel bug, with Zach's love of European and, and, <laughs> and cities all over the globe, yeah. what have you got planned for the rest of the year? Um, we've got a little trip away in the summer. I didn't think he was going to say Bexhill, so <laughs> no disrespect no. to anyone from Bexhill. No, not at all. But um, no, we've, we've got a little trip to Madeira planned um, for the summer holidays. Mm. Well, you'd be, um, you'd be pleased to know that I'm going to be practicing with Portuguese because I'm going back to Portugal in uh, in June. So for, for uh, Albufeira, yeah. yeah, standard. Do you know what I mean? But we, for years and years and years, it was always southern Spain for us. So I've got both my boys speak Spanish. My wife speaks amazing Spanish. I speak what they call Spanish. I, I embarrass <laughs> them every time I talk, but yeah. I think I talk brilliant Spanish. <laughs> and um, but but last year we went to Portugal. And we absolutely loved it. Um, it was cheaper as well. <laughs> it was. You know, it was. It was meant to be. And this is how children take over your life. This was meant to be the first holiday without the children that right. me and Jane went on. For since we got married, since we were together, really. Right. So we're talking since I was twenty-two, right. and you know, so it's that without children. Looking forward to it. About four days before Henry's there, he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna take who? Some seventeen-year-old come or sixteen-year-old come?" Yeah. Um, but it, it's such a result where he could do his thing, we could do ours. But but I, I genuinely come back with such a warm feeling about it that we're going back there again. But my Portuguese is is like yours, to be fair. <laughs> but. No matter where you go in the world, as long as you can get a few words out in that particular it's language, go, isn't it? the people there appreciate it. They all speak English, don't matter where yeah. you go now, everyone speaks English. But, but I think it's generation. having a go which makes a difference. That's what they appreciate. Just yeah. even if you're saying thank you or please or whatever, in that language... Bar- Bar- goes, a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of my time in Spain was on the Costa del Sol, so there's a lot of people there that don't have a go. And if you do, you get an amazing, you know, yeah, you get amazing reaction. So, we're on the penalty shootout, which is normally football theme, Barry, but I know you went to Brighton, uh, Brighton <laughs> Cardiff earlier this week, but you're, you're, not, you're not necessarily a Brighton fan, are you? I'm an Arsenal fan, for my sins, yeah. Okay. Um, but I do enjoy watching football as a neutral. 
Money's no object for you and your family. Destination you would go to, next holiday would be? Uh, Maldives is on the list and it's never been done, so that's what I want mm. yeah, to go to. I love a bit of diving. So, uh, Do you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mentioned you're an Arsenal fan, so question two. Favourite ever Arsenal player? See, the generic would just be to say Henri because he was yeah, at, the funny, height, yeah. at, at the height of his powers when, um, when I was, you know, really enjoying watching Arsenal. Mm. Uh, but I would actually go back a step and say that it was Burkamp because he really, he started the revolution really at Arsenal. He was there before Wenger. Mm. He made the, the leap across and he made it okay for the best players in Europe to come to England. Unfair this question, number three. And, and, but before I ask it, um, I think Burkamp was one of the most creative, mm. nasty and technically gifted players the Premier League's ever seen because he had it all. Yeah. He would leave his foot in. He would. He chuck an elbow in. Yeah, no, he would. He would. He would be. <laughs> yeah. But but you're you're dealing with someone who can. I mean, you know, if he could track, if he if he flew, you know, yeah. where, where where'd you go? But um, I get that. Um, but in the current league, current you know current where we are where we are, um, do you believe Arsenal will succeed under their current manager? Or do you think they're going to need to replace him again? No, I think he's a. A good appointment. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to hold your nerve with these things. Yeah. And I think you just need to stand firm, stand behind him, accept the fact it's going to be two or three transfer windows before he gets a team which really is reflective of him rather than reflective of Wenger because it is still a Wenger team no matter what anyone says. Um, and we're probably three or four players short of being competitive against the Liverpools mm. and the Man Cities in this world and I think we, we acknowledge that and I think we're as Arsenal fans are actually quite satisfied with where we've gone because there's been progression more points than we've had last season already um, scoring more goals oh, I'm going to ask another Arsenal question oh, go on. Go on. number four this is so, so football's right. taken over I don't know how that happens with me Mesut Ozil yes or no I mean he's beyond Marmite isn't he so yes so, or no if you're playing at home against Fulham then you know, I, I, I would play Mesut Ozil every single time. If you're going away on a cold, rainy night in Stoke, he does not even get on the bus. Mm. And at three hundred and fifty grand a week, you can't afford for a player that doesn't. Get so, so gun at your head, yes or no? On the balance of it, no. Yeah. You know, if he if he's playing for you for free, um, and you mm. can afford just to use him for the games as a luxury player. Then yeah, of course, why not? But he upsets the the balance of the dressing room uh, by being the best paid and the lowest working. Fair play. So we've we've had a travel question, we've had three football questions. We're <laughs> going to end it on a on a kitchen related question. Um, what would be the best piece of advice you could give to yourself back in two thousand and nine? Just trust yourself. If your gut tells you to do something, it's probably right. If you listen too much to the opinions of other people, you will get bogged down because the more people you talk to, the more opinions you get. They will have conflicting views, personalities, you end up in points of views. You end up in politics, don't you? Barry, you've been an absolute brilliant guest. It's a, it's a short journey for me to Hayward Heath. Um, 
I think I'm taking lunch to my son on site in Linfield afterwards. That's the glamour of being a parent. It Do you is. know what I mean? He, he realised that I'm, I'm opposite a very well-known um, takeaway. Um, <laughs> and he said, oh, Dad, you know, could you uh, just spin by? You know, it's a... And naturally, because I'm a dad, I went, yes, son, no worries. Anyone else want anything? They were texting me orders earlier on. But we're not here to talk about my son. We're here <laughs> to talk about your showroom. So if I was a customer or a homeowner in the local area and I wanted to really do something special with my kitchen um, what's the best way of getting in touch with you and, and your team is it is it to arrange an appointment what is it just stick my head around the door so you can pop into any of our showrooms again yeah. if we go back to where I've come from with regards to retail um, we are a retail mm. outlet so we are open seven days a week which is almost unheard of in KBB, mm. in Brighton and Hayward Teeth, and six days in Eastbourne. Um, just close on the Sundays because no one else opens mm. up. So pop in, have a look, have a wander around. You can see if this is the sort of thing that you might be interested in. We are quite specific in what we like to specialise in. Mm. It's contemporary kitchens. So there's a feel here. You know, there is a feel. Yeah. All of the displays are designed by me, and they all have a... Great coffee, by the way. An, an element of what we like to, to mm. do here. Now, the budget is kind of irrelevant on the feel because they're all going to feel the same whether you're spending. Um, about 10000 is where we can kind of start from, there or thereabouts. Is that all in, installed at that, or is that just a... For goods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you can just pick your number yeah. upwards. Um, but the majority of our kitchens are somewhere between about eighteen and 25000 yeah. That's That's the... The, the vast bulk of it and that is a figure that if you are renovating and doing extension within your properties is not bottom of the market but is certainly accessible for the majority it's of people isn't it? yeah it's achievable for the right person and the right you know yeah i get it you know um we do as many kind of eight to ten thousand pound kitchens as we do 50 plus kitchens you know, the, the market so get uh, um, quite small up, up high yeah and it gets quite crowded down, down below. So you've got your sweet spot, and you, and you've got you've got reach out, you, you reach out there. Yeah. So pop, pop into any of the showrooms. Mm. You can have a look online. We've got um, the full three sixty um, showroom tours on Google Maps. If that's your I like thing. that. I saw that. You know, so you can get a proper look at the showroom. If if you're looking for traditional English style kitchens, we're probably not the best place to do it. We can mm. do it, but they're not our forte. Yeah. If you're looking for something contemporary, something sharp something modern, something that is going to offer some really good value for money, then we're your, we're your friend. From a, from a, you know, someone who wants to get into kitchen design or someone who, who is beginning their journey, one of, the, one of the really brilliant things we do on the podcast, the Foyne Jones Show, is we, we ask people to, you know, business owners, leaders, just to give their their advice on, on what they should do. So if I was an aspiring kitchen designer, um, but I was struggling to find a showroom or a business that, that would give me a chance, what, what could I be doing before that interview to, to impress someone like you? God, that's a question. I know. It's my world, you know, that, that's, that's why I'm asking. So there's, there's, there's two, two types of people that we'd really look to hire as a, as a designer. Uh, the first is somebody who already knows the industry, quite frankly, they know it inside and out, they can work the CAD systems already, 
they have a, a knowledge of you know, the products, the worktops mm. and appliances don't vary hugely from one retailer to the next. So you might have to learn a new type of kitchen, you might have to learn a, a new manufacturer's codes, that kind of thing. But you know, a granite worktop is a granite worktop and a, a Nef oven yeah. is a Nef oven kind of thing. So you're looking for somebody with a proven track record. Yeah. Um, the other type of person that you want is somebody with zero knowledge of anything at all. Because what that other person has is they have um, 5, 10, 20 years of bad habits. Yeah. And they're doing things in a certain way because that's the way they've always done them. That's the way that their previous companies wanted them mm. to do. And if that aligns nicely with you and your company, then great. If it doesn't, unpicking years of yeah. bad habits is actually more time consuming than starting with somebody afresh. People want to be able to, to deal with, you know, one or two people. They accept that uh, the designer isn't going to do everything for them, but if they use them as their first point of contact for a lot of stuff, they can answer the questions, they can help out, they can handhold, they can do a little site visit, that kind of thing. We're not going to fit your kitchen for you if you're fitting mm. it yourself, but we'll, we'll come and, and hold your hand through it and, and talk things through in a way that you're not going to get at those other retailers for not a lot of extra money. Yeah. That's that's where kind of we sit. It is going to cost you more than going to B and Q. Can't get around that fact. It's a better yeah. quality kitchen, a better quality service. But the value for money in paying mm. a little bit extra and getting not only a better product but also getting a better service should be worth that. With with my customers, partners, and clients, employees we work with, I, I tend to use the approach that we're reassuring the expensive. You know, you, you will walk away feeling really good and you, you're going you're gonna to be happy with the result, but it's not the pound shop. It's not, you know, that, that's where we are. Um, and I think the, the way you've brought your business to life and the, the, what, what you've just demonstrated there for someone wanting to come in is great. Got to say, you've been a great guest. Thank you. Um, that's the end of today's Boy Jones show. Thank you very much, Barry. You've been brilliant. So that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Foyne Jones by visiting our website or connecting with me on LinkedIn. We are Foyne Jones. This is what we do.